Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Thursday night. I just went to someone's house, and I'll tell you the truth, I'm like a little wiped out. Maybe had a little to drink, um, which I usually don't. So, um, <laughs> if I don't sound 100% coherent, it'll be, it's my fault. Uh, but I wanted to say something about the uh, Tfilahs I do every week. This is, once, as always, thanks to Mishpachas Stefanski. Um, and... Uh, I was concentrating last time on Dal Nisim, and I was thinking about that now also tonight as well, and some uh, interesting things, at least in my opinion. As I mentioned the other day, I've been going through, or at least I did the other day, this very, really deluxe, nice edition of the Drushes Chum Sofer that's come out. It's really very nice, I must say. Um, and they made something which is usually not so accessible unless you chase after it into something that's standing right in front of you. And these are about a dozen rushes or something that the Chassam Sober gave, apparently, a lot of them in the 1830s, going by the dates that are mentioned over there, they even give you the dates. And uh, that means that he must have had a practice of giving a Hanukkah speech uh, once a year, Alder Hadrush. And I mentioned one the other day, that was in connection with the Haftorah. And now I want to say something in connection with the Alanism. Um In general, me, myself, and I always find it interesting but it's speculative, because it says, uh, you know, uh, which is very interesting, because if they make you forget the Torah, then of course, they're not going to keep the dinim. But that's actually not true. There is what we call traditionalism. So a lot of people, and throughout Jewish history, you know, I would say, especially women, that weren't learned, it's not that, you know, they forgot the learning, but uh, they still were chugi uh, Let's face it. Most people, my wife was screaming at me. She said, why don't you explain what most tour is? I said, I don't have to explain most tour. Everybody knows that one. I said, no, people don't know it, and this and that and the other. You know, I said, there's art school sitter, you know. She said, people don't know it. And uh, people may not know what most tour means, but they know how to sing it. That's la vir mechugi ritzenecho. You see, you get what I'm saying? You know, it's uh, that's already the rote built in. But it only takes a generation to bust that. Uh, that's what happened in America and elsewhere, as we know. The old generation came over here. They may not have been learned. Usually they weren't. But they knew what Shabbos was, basically. They knew what Kashrus was at a basic level. They knew Davening, Yartzeit, Yisker, you know, Leisha Basuka, you know, maybe the Shosuka, all that kind of business. And they knew you like Hanukkah candles. They didn't know all the dinim of Sritzvachim and Tenzvachim and this and that and the other and wearing the shawl and, you know, which is Shmanim and all the rest of it. They used to buy the Hanukkah candles, you know, that they saw in the store. They didn't have all the, but but they knew Chukritzanecha, you know, they, they knew the basics. With the Greeks, at least the way it's being portrayed, in the Alanism, which I told you is really a knockoff 
more or less of the first book of Maccabees. Not exactly, but more or less for the first book of Maccabees. Derek Yosef, one I would argue, as I tried to do the other day. Uh, so really, there was a full court press. Um, in other words, they wanted to uh, wipe out the Torah, so to speak. Notice the learning of it. Says actually in the Book of Maccabees, any safer Torah they got, any anyone at a safer got killed. That's what it said. Anyone who possessed a safer of any sort uh, got killed. That's actually interesting because if you can suppress the literature, I've said many times, one of our weak points as a culture is we're dependent on texts. You get it? If somebody was very sneaky and ingenious and evil, and let's say we lived a generation or two before the internet, and you simply went to Punavish or Lakewood, those kind of places, and simply confiscate each and every book, including the Sidurim, you should be up the creek, because, yeah, you have guys that committed learning and B'nai Torah and all that, but they don't have no books. How many people have, you know, the whole thing memorized? Hardly anybody. You couldn't even daven very successfully, you know what I'm saying, without a book. <coughs> Excuse me, even though you... <coughs> Beg your pardon. Even though you know the davening, but you know how it goes. You know, you know davening off uh, this and that. But you know the whole thing. Tell me, Asa McComan over. You know, you can say some of it. So, the uh, it's very interesting that whoever was writing, composing Dalinism, which I think again, I think the Nusuk is from the Gonic period, uh, was you know really being mediac. I think in trying to tell the Hanukkah story in which he said that Lashkicham Torah and uh, they're also going to stamp out their traditionalism. Now, you can have one without the other. I've made the case many times. If you happen to know uh, what was going on in Eretz Yisrael after the 300s, when the Romans killed out all the rabbis. They killed out all the rabbis. Ariskinus. <clears throat> so, um, in the 360s. So, what was going on in Palestine? In the Roman province of Palestine? There were Jews. There were synagogues. Um, doesn't seem to have been yeshivas, rabbis, learning. And so it was a Balbatish run operation. It's very interesting. The 400, the 500s. Now, we don't have really a lot of information. The 600, you know, to know exactly. I'm talking about, I'm talking prior to the Arab conquest, under Byzantine Palestine. As best as I can tell, you know, it was really like a, a layman type thing. It was run by the Balabatim, and learning wasn't there, that's all. Uh, and they did the best they could, and uh, that was an era of synagogue poetry. And that, to my mind, explains the interesting phenomenon that you go to ancient synagogues that date from that period, Byzantine period, in Eretz Yisrael, and some of you have been there as tourists, and you come to what was clearly an Orthodox show, but you see things there that are not Orthodox. <laughs> So you'll find mosaics. Sure, they have a mosaic of the Kriyas Yamsev or the Akedis Yitzhak, but they'll also have a mosaic about the, the stars and the zodiacs and Apollo and Pluto and junk like that, which is shocking. And notice, how do you have pagan deities, even in a decorative sense, inside of a synagogue that's supposed to be an Orthodox show? But you did. But you did. Because the people who ran the show over there did not, you know, didn't have that fine sensibility what we call the rabbinic sensibility that this doesn't exactly cut, you know, the mustard, I'll pee, the rabbinic sources. So I'd be the type of person that, that you know, the lights Hanukkah 
you know, with an avuka or something like that. And what's, he said, what's the problem? You know, what's the difference? You can't get all that nitty-gritty level of the of the rituals, which is the way our culture has uh, evolved, that we are nitty-gritty OCD and that kind of stuff. So people want to know how high is the, 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 the menorah and exactly what time do you bench and this and that and the other. Uh, but that wasn't sensibility. See, of lashkichim teresecho, that's one thing. The intention was to wipe out the Jewish religion. Was erase, I guess, what we would call today the institutional memory. And so people who have forgotten what it was like to practice Jewish stuff. That's very interesting. You and I have lived to see that in a completely different context happen in our lifetimes. At least I have. That people I knew, the grandparents, you know, when I was growing up, and they knew this and the other, but the grandchildren have zero idea. If they're Jewish, they have zero idea. You understand? I mean, I couldn't ask them, what are you doing with Hanukkah? Maybe Hanukkah, Lena, but I couldn't ask them, what are you doing Pesach on, on Shavuos, on Sukkot, and Shabbos, and so forth and so on. It's uh, just an interesting uh, part. Now, that's just a throw-off. What really drew my attention, and maybe I've spoken about it in the past, I don't remember, I don't believe so, is where he deviates from the text of the uh, Book of Maccabees. And that is says, which is what it says in the book of Maccabees, that Judah and the army came during the respite of one of the battles. I put this up online. You know, you can listen if you have the patience for my two-hour, three-hour business on all the military history, shall we say, of the Maccabean Wars. But if you follow the book of Maccabees even a little bit in the part about Hanukkah, you'll see that they came back. Even though the guy was shooting at them from a few blocks away, um, what's shot with that? So, again, if I want to take a broad view, you simply say means that they lit the neiros on the temple grounds. In point of actual fact, it was the menorah, which is located in the kodesh which is the room in the building, adjacent to the Kodesh HaKadoshim. I think many people know that. In Beis HaMegish, they have a room called Kodesh HaKadoshim. In the Bayis Rishon, the Ten Commandments were there, the box with the iron and the Tukruvim and all that stuff. In the second Beis HaMegish, it wasn't there. So it was an empty room. I'm sure many of you have seen the picture of Mishnah and Yuma and that kind of stuff. You see, when the coin does, Achas, 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 is imaginary, meaning he's sprinkling in the direction where the uh, Aaron had used to be in the Bayes region, even though at the time of the Second Temple there was an empty room, there was nothing there. So that empty room is called the Kodesh HaKadoshah, and that is the place where the rituals of Yom Kippur are carried out. But the room in front of that is called the Kodesh, and the Kodesh has three items of furniture. One is the Lechem upon him, the table and all that. One is the um, Nogz Shulchan and Lechem upon him. One is the Golden Altar, the Mizbech HaZob or the Mizbech HaKatoris, where you do the Ketoris ritual. And the third item is indeed Taka the Menorah. Those are the three items that you have in, in the Kodesh room. So if the Maccabees came back and Pino Sechalev, Tiros then it should be Hidliku Neiros, the Kodesh. Or Behechalecha, maybe, because you could call that whole building that contains both the Kodesh as well as the Kodesh of Kodesh, the Hechal. So that would make more sense. Behidliku Neiros, Behechalecha, or something like that. In the chutzers of your of your base uh, Now I repeat, if you understand chutzer not in the literal sense, but in the broader sense, and it could very well mean just that, 
that, you know, they lit candles on the grounds of the temple. Uh, so then that would be just nicely poetic. On the other hand, couldn't the guy, whoever it is that composed Al Nisim, save Hidliku Neros Bekachecha, you know, in your Kodesh? Not the Kodesh of Gadosh, but in the Kodesh. Or, you know, Besoche Chalech or something like that. I would. So, what happens with Hatzis Kodesh? So, if you don't take the broad literary view and, and say it's just a, a euphemism, another way of saying on the temple grounds, but rather you say it's really in the courtyards in the Chatzar, then you talk on a can of worms. Because they didn't light in the Chatzar, did they? I mean, let's put it this way. You know the halacha. The halacha is the menorah has, is supposed to be lit in um, the Kodesh. And there's some Rambam, I forget, I did last year, two years ago, three years ago, there's some Rambam talks about lighting it elsewhere. I mean, that is true, um, with the Kesev Mishnah and all that. But come on, you're the Maccabees, you're going to light it in the Kodesh, right? You know. And again, if you go by the Book of Maccabees, even though that's no Raya, it says that they brought in the candlestick and the uh, the ta- this they use these words in Greek, the candlestick, the table, and the uh, and the golden altar, and then they started it up. They lit the uh, candlestick, they put the bread on the table. This is what it says. I don't have it in front of me, but that's what it says. And they um, uh, did this, the incense ritual. They poured the incense. So in other words. Pashim shot the Maccabees, who I repeat uh, again and again, you know, already had possession of the temple weeks before, and it took a while to clean it up, and then they waited Badafka for the 25th day of Kislev as a poetic justice as they saw it to take revenge on the Greeks who, who used that day to, um, you know, start the whole pagan ritual up in the temple. Uh, if these Maccabees, if they came back now by Hanukkah, by 25 Kislev, they're ready to go. And they didn't know, of course, there's going to be some miracle with the with the lamp. And there's even a bigger reason not to light the lamp, the, the, the menorah, in the courtyard. At least, Pashtas, there's a tremendous reason, and that is, it'll go out, it'll blow out. You know, those of you listening, living in Israel, Mamish know, but even those the rest of us who visited Israel know, what is it like on a Temple Mount in Israel, in Jerusalem, in December? <laughs> Right? It's windy as all heck. Forget the rain problem, right? The rain would also kill it. And there are some, uh, you know, if you get that book with 100 Tarutz and whatever it's called, near Lamea, you know, somebody says, oh, it's a miracle there was no rain. Uh, and there is a mission like that in Perkyovis, which says there were 10 miracles. And one of the miracles is it didn't rain at the wrong time. Isn't that right? Uh, I want to go somewhere with this. I'm sorry, Kodesh. They considered that one of the miracles that it didn't rain when when the uh, when the altar was full of wood that was burning. So in other words, it never worked out that the rain should hurt them. Uh, so how could you light the candles, especially if you only have one jar, uh, knowing full well they're going to blow out? We have such a discussions about uh, in, in Hilcha Shabbos, right? You're not supposed to uh, light the Shabbos candles next to where the window, the, the wind is blowing because it'll blow it out. So, um, naturally, if I were to Jew in Maccabee, I'd say, let's carry out this mitzvah, this ritual, without question, but you do it inside the building, which presumably is where it's supposed to be and where it's going to be presumably protected from the winds. Something as, as silly and simple as that. I mean, isn't that true? Again, you know what Yerushalayim is like this time of the year. 
Uh, some of you in the surreal world that we're living in are actually listening to this podcast, living in your slime, so you feel the winds and all the rest of it. And uh, certainly, eight days of Hanukkah is going to happen. So why would they do that? You know, why would they do that? Um, so, so what is he talking about? You know, like, like what is that? So, um, again, so I'm flipping through over here. I remember from the past, they say the, the Psalm Silver Report, but I don't remember what it was. I think I found it. And if, if it's not that one, there's a good one also. And I'm working my way through these uh, drushes of Tom Silver, you know, a little here and a little there. And I'm talking about the 18th one, I guess. Okay, 18th one. Um, which it says, uh, where the Tom Silver is actually praising the Maccabees to the sky. Um, and I'll tell you what he means. He says... Uh, and he's parsing the Alanisim to some degree, which is interesting. And it says, How is there a, 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 a nace that resounds out of the whole world in China? You heard about Hanukkah? And uh, he says, The Hanukkah was, was felt everywhere, but not forever, uh, because later on the base mix was destroyed. So, Olamecha is a limited term. That's an unlimited term. So here he, he waxes very um, drushy and a little bit surprising to me. And it just goes to show you, you pay a lawyer enough money, he can defend anything. So ordinarily, if I say to you, the Chashmanoim and the Ramban and Bracious is a negative, right? You know, I think you know what I'm talking about. The Ramban's coming up a couple weeks in Bayechi, and it's very famous. And when it gets to Lo Yosef Shev Miyuhuna Mechokim Miyuraglov Akiyavashilo, that the scepter will not depart from, depart from Judah, the Ramban, who used this argument in his famous debate with Pablo the Christian of Cabo Christianity in Barcelona in front of the king of Aragon, James I. In 1263, that famous debate. So the guy threw at him, the Mishomer threw at him, that that proves that Jesus is the Messiah because the Jews had a kingdom, then they lost it around the time of Yashka. So there you have it. And he said, The Rabban answers meaning, The legitimate right to the kingship will not depart from the tribe of Judah. And here the Rabban gives his famous thesis, which is that when God... Um, when Yaakov, whatever, uh, said that Yehuda would get the kingship, it was not simply um, an insurance policy, but it was also an exclusive. Uh, I think I mentioned this before. I used to do this in the high school classes. <clears throat> when you look at the Rambam, and I'm too tired to go pull these books out, but I think many of you are familiar with it. If not, you can pull it out yourself in a second or pull it up online. And you look at the Rambam, Hilkas Malachim, you know, and uh, like the first chapter or something like that. And he makes the point that, uh, you know, any anybody can become a king if he's chosen right in the right way. But once David got it, uh, based on Pesukim and Shmuel Beis, I mean, once David got it, he's got it. But the Rambam, my money, says it's not an exclusive. You could have another king also. I'll give you an example. You're Rambam Nevot. Say what you want about the guy, but he was anointed by a prophet and some of the other kings in the north as well. 
So they didn't turn out good, but they were anointed by real novice. So now as God shows them, so what do you do with that? So the Rambam would say, well, you can have more than one king at the same time. You can have two kings, three kings, four and five. One of them will be David from the dynasty of David. That's what Rambam understands the idea of the insurance policy. That the others, if they go off the derech, will lose it and get totally wiped out. Which is what happened to the dynasty of Yerobam and Bashab and whoever it was, Yehu and so on and so forth. So basically it's a double or nothing, you know. If you stay from, you and your children will be legitimate kings. But if you get off the derech, you'll be exterminated on Mashna Bakir to the little babies. The ones that pitch on the wall. All the children in your family and all your cousins and relatives will get bumped off like one of these Syria war, civil war uh, situations. But the Ramban, by contrast, very famously says, no. When David was promised um, the Malucha, and he got it, it was not only the insurance policy, uh, so that even if his kids go off to Derek, they still retain the right to it, because that's the Ramban's thesis, I forgot to say. That, you know, if Finkelstein is promised the kingship, and if Finkelstein's children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren screw up and go off to Derek, the whole Finkelstein will be wiped out. But David, even if they screw up, and they certainly did, they cannot lose it. That's what I mean by insurance policy. But the Ramban, Nachmanides, not Maimonides, Nachmanides, says, very famously in his commentary in the Chumash, that David got an exclusive. So when Hashem said, you, you know, that Yehuda gets the Malucha, it means that no one else can. And, of course, he has to twist like a pretzel in order to be to Yashiv in a dochik way. What's shot that, you know, Yoram uh, Benavot and these other guys, who I repeat, were chosen by real novies, and that's what it says. But he does in his way, and then he goes on to say, and this was the chait of the Hashmanoim and the Maccabees, even though they're big tzaddikim. Hear what I just said? They're big tzaddikim. And he uses the language the, the uh, Ramban does that Il Moli Heim Nishtacha Atom Yisrael, if not for them, the Torah would have been forgotten. Um, but nevertheless, since they took the, the kingship title eventually, they were all exterminated. Ad Kedekach, that everybody knows the famous Gemara, which says, Call Man Domar Mibes Chashmanai Kasino Evid Hu. Then anybody who claims to be descent from the from the Chashmanai is lying because uh, none of them survived. And that was a terrible punishment. The whole family should be exterminated. How do explain that? Because they violated this terrible um, you know, injunction to take the, the crown. All right, let it be. Um, so I just, so when I read that Ramban, and you do, it's like the glass is half empty. The, the Chashmanim were not that great. Uh, you know, they're not that great. It's actually based on that that some of these modern guys try to say, that's why there's no Mishnah, so Hanukkah, et cetera, et cetera. I don't hold from that, but that's a famous word. Now, as I said before, a good lawyer can spin it the other way around. Because what did the Ramban, Ramban say? He said, they took the Malucha and therefore they wiped out, even though they were great people. Oh my goodness, that's quite a statement. If you take that literally, you're saying that if not for the Maccabean Wars, all the Chachmei Torben would have been wiped out, which is, by the way, quite problematic because they're all living in Israel. That's a vort for, um, there's a discussion at in, uh, what's it called? The Doris Rishon and the Victor Miller, you know. But putting that aside, let's take him at his face value. That's an unbelievable zechus. And the Ramban, very nicely, in a very homiletical way, says, that, uh, that uh, for the Jewish people, you made 
something means nowadays. That's the interpretation. Nowadays. How is Hanukkah affect us nowadays? Isn't that something? And the Chassam Sover, right? The light caused by the Hasmoni, by the Maccabees, is still shining. He doesn't mean the lights on the menorah, right? He means the Torah that they saved. You get it? The Torah that they saved. Kol HaGedorim, Vasiyogim, Mehem, Umeir Abonim Achram. Right? I mean, that's quite a, a little statement over there, okay? That is quite a statement. Uh, and let me put it this way. If this is so, the whole Torah tradition, you can thank Judah Maccabee. Uh, this is not the only way to learn the Hanukkah Torah by any means, but it's, it's one way. It's the Chassam Silver's way. And when you're saying this, I'll Anisim all the time, if you ever think, you know, one time along the line, Chassam Silver, he's like, guess, hats off to Judah Maccabee or these other guys, Jonathan Maccabee, and the, I mean, you know, the guy who killed, got killed under the elephant. I mean, they really gave their lives for the Torah. That is to say, to ensure the survival of the Torah. That is quite a business. Now, wait a minute. I asked you before, what does it mean that they lit the lights? Don't make any sense. Um, they lit the lights inside the building, you know, inside the Hegel. Look how the Chassam Silver in this particular drasha explains it. Again, he's speaking homiletically, but he doesn't hesitate to say what I'm about to say. What does it mean? Hidliku neres chachach. I mean, the Psalms are like this. They did not light. Listen closely. Historically, they did not light candles in the courtyards of the temple. But what it means is, Pirish, That's amazing. He's saying, they didn't like Mechatz Kachecha. Chatzus Kachecha is, is a poetic term to be understood that the world you and I inhabit. Hidliku Neris, that the Maccabees through their self-sacrifice and the salvation of the Torah brought light you and me, to you and me today that we have the Torah that survived. She'oram, the or of the Maccabees, not of that original menorah, but the or, that is to say, the knowledge that was saved to the Maccabean sacrifice and victories, Meir Baprozder Olam Hazeh, shines in the world that you and I live in. How so? In the Drabonans, as he puts over here, in the living rabbinical tradition, Torah tradition, the Gedorim, Usiogim, Betosas, Because we know that was an era where they did a lot of Siogs and um, and Takonas. Uh, I think the base Chashonai Salagis gave Havyicha with a Shiksa, if I remember correctly. Um, things like that, you know, and other similar things. They declare Chutzlar to be Tommy. There's a lot to talk about over there. So, uh, it's not the only way to learn but it is the Chsam Sober's way. <laughs> okay? It is the Chsam Sober's way. And uh, it's, it's quite remarkable because uh, what he's saying in this speech is don't read this feel literally. They did not actually light lights in Chatzis Kotshecha. It's the expression. The expression is that they saved the Torah and therefore it shines today. Uh, wow. 
Um, <laughs> let's put it this way. If a reform rabbi said it, you say, oh, get out of here. It's a chasam sofer. It's a, it strikes me as a very daring or, you know, interesting kind of way of dealing with, with this issue. Now, I must say that at first glance, you think they lit candles in the courtyard. It's impossible because the wind would blow it out, especially in the winter, you know, December time. It is true that references made in the Pirkeovus as one of the daily miracles that it says, Lo kibu hagsham, lo nitzcharuch zamadasha. I actually thought this on my own. Lo nitzcharuch zamadasha. Remember, you did that, uh, what is it, Ocean thing, you know, with the Katoris, and it went up in a straight pillar, and the wind never dispersed it. So, did they offer up the Katoris on a daily basis? They did. In the winter, they did. What about the wind? He says, well, the wind never interfered with it. You could argue that the miraculously, according to this Nusach in the Alanisim, and amazingly, those candles did not, uh, you know, blow out. Um, candles not burn. It was only one candle. You know what I mean? Each one's a wick with a candle. Uh, that itself is a nace. Let me put it this way. That is a nace that the Perkyovis says was daily. See, see, what if there were daily nisim in the base of English? It raised the question. So what's up with Why was Hanukkah so different? Now, Chassam Sofer is talking, saying, hey, you're right. What was different was the fact that they saved the Torah. But Pashim Shat, Hidliku Neres V'chatzkot Shechel. Now, I'll tell you what I what occurred to me. I have no idea if this is right or not. And I'll tell you why it occurred to me. I was reading in the morale, and after he gives his whole theosophy about the meaning of Greece and this and that and the other, you know, all the, the symbolic stuff, uh, he goes into the certain halachic part. Uh, if I ask myself the question, why did the morale even write this book? I think it's the first book he published the book of Hanukkah. And if you work your way all the way through it, you know a little, a little bit about who the morale was and, and the vicissitudes of his career. You can see he was really ticked off by what he considered the lax uh, practice of the Jews, Legabi uh, Hanukkah, nearest Hanukkah. And so they didn't light at the right time, you know, 5.30, and he holds you have to. And what's even worse, they committed the terrible sin of lighting with candles. Now, you light with candles. The Ramah says that it was proper in the minute at that time to light with candles. I'm talking about wax candles, right? To use Nero Shoshiva, wax candles. What's the problem with it? The morale has a whole war, he declares, on the, on the wax candles. According to him, you have to use the olive oil, which is a little bit weird simply because, you know, in ancient times, as the Gemara tells us, the olive oil was expensive and not everybody could afford it. There's a that famous thing in the Bamemad Likin. In Shabbos, you know, second parak, where Reb Tarfin said everybody has to use uh, olive oil for Friday night, and they said, "What should the poor people here do in there? They can't afford it." No, this Reb Tarfin was a multimillionaire. He was, right? He was a kohen also. I mean, Reb Tarfin was a great rabbi and all that stuff, but he was quite successful in business. Matter of fact, look at the Pirkei His thing in the Pirkei is that of a major capitalist industrialist. Hayom Kutzer, Hamlacharabo, you know, Balavais Dochik. I mean, that's the language of capitalism, you know. But anyway, so he was rich, he could afford uh, olive oil. And you and I today are rich enough that we can afford olive oil. But there are many times that they couldn't. And anyway, it's an old Minigan cholesterol, as you know very well, to use wax candles. And here in the Morale of Prague is declaring war and going wild on this. And showing you that it's not, if you do a wax candle, it's, it's an avuka. It's a kind of a torch. Um, and you can't use a torch. 
uh, you know, that's in the Gemara. Yeah, I'm sure you know that. Uh, what struck me, I'm just, you know, playing with this idea, is that uh, if they lit anything in the courtyard, um, that would not be identical. I'm not going with the Psalms over here now. Rather, I'm, I'm, I'm going with a different idea in a separate drush of the Psalms over in this wonderful edition. You can see them all. And he's suggesting over here a different scenario. So, you know, every year he gave a different speech, and there's no requirement to be consistent in your speeches. These are drushas of the old school. This is from, the other one was from 1834. So this would be 1835. Actually, I'm a year off, because Hanukkah is December. So the one before I mentioned was 1833, and this one would be 1834. Not that it matters to you. And uh, he died in 1839. Just give you, uh, just give you a spin on this. And um, the Psalm Sofer, again, suggests, right, suggests, like Abe Schutz, you know, he said, this is my shot last year, and now I'm giving him shot this year. He suggests that um, what they did was as follows. Listen closely. Again, it's a, a short passage. Uh, and he's saying, uh, this is a suggestion in the drush of the Chassam Silver. Uh, when they lit inside in the Kodesh the first night, and they realized that, that, that the oil wasn't going down. So according to him, they were watching it. And they could see the, the oil and the, and the wick wasn't, uh, you know, being burned away, as normally happens. And he saw it's a nace. They, like, freaked out, and they wanted to be mafarsim this as much as possible. They set up, this is a suggestion. They set up not exactly a menorah, but something like a menorah uh, in the courtyard, to which they lit a fire, which was symbolic and and um, informative. It's not identical with the actual fire of the real menorah, which was inside the building of the of the kodesh. I'll read it again. That miyad acher shalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalal
But rather, the manure, the famous manure of Seven Spears uh, was this decorative business or this informative business. All which goes to show you, and when you get to this passage, that we're going to say tonight, tomorrow, again and again and again on the Kanaka, every time you have Shimon Esri and every time you have Benching, it's actually a very complex and interesting kind of reference. Um, I was going to say that probably what they did outside was an avuka, because otherwise it would blow out an avuka, a, a torch. If you did it right, they can handle. It. And 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 I'm following the Chassam Silver over here. If they they can make as big a bowl as they want on the spear, and they can put in as much tomei oil as you feel like, it's no problem because you're not being kind the mitzvah of adlaka, and so you could add a, a huge set of uh, of avukas. And uh, that's what they did for the informing part. Uh, this might be why the morale... Well, I'm just, this, this is a vort I'm saying. It's a, just a vort. That could be why the morale goes so wild against the avuka and about anything that smacks of it, including a, a wax candle, because the avuka was not identical with the actual uh, nace. Uh, I throw this out so that some of you will be in a position to look up these some servers yourself, and you could be the life of the party, um, and others to think about what you're saying when you're davening, because... These things are what I just mentioned tonight, very drushy, but it's uh, you know the in, in the history of Kaiser they were they weren't hesitating to do this sort of thing. Uh, that to me I consider to be very interesting. And maybe if I have time tomorrow, I'll say a few words of Hanukkah. But meanwhile, I'll close down this uh, Trila podcast. And once again, I want to thank the Mishpach and Stefanski, and have a good Hanukkah. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.